And we're back, Stripe Show podcast on a Thursday. Golf is a global game, folks. I uh, had a conference call this morning with someone from Germany. And now the podcast here today, we're going straight to London because that's where our guest is. He's all over the place because he's one of the top teachers in the game, top 100 teacher. Joins us from London, Jonathan Yarwood. Thank you, Jonathan, for taking the time from London, coming on the pod, man. It's a pleasure, man. Thanks so much for having me on. I've uh, been following your stuff, and it's great, so it's great to be involved. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I appreciate it. And we had a nice conversation before we we came on and, you know, our careers and finding balance, right? Because it's the, the dog yeah. days of summer here in Florida. Let me tell you something. It's hot. My goodness. Yeah. And um, I've stayed off the tee a little bit more this summer than I have in years past, partly because the podcast is doing so well, which we appreciate. And uh, in, in particularly the Thursday podcast, because people like coach speak, they like to hear a couple people who are in this business, ham and egg it about golf instruction, golf coaching, because my audience, well, they want to get better. And uh, we're here to help them that and, and tell some stories. And, and the first story that I just, I got to lead off with, and I want to put you in a tough spot here because I know the Cordas are very humble people. And they like to kind of keep things to themselves, but I've got to at least just let my audience know that you have a relationship with the Cordas and you've helped them uh, with their game. Nelly and Jessica, of course, Nelly now the Olympic gold medalist from America. Congratulations, Jonathan. The Cordas, pretty cool stuff. Yeah, they're amazing people, amazing family. Listen, I'm not taking any credit for it at all. They're, they're just incredible as people. And um, what the family has done is quite amazing. You know, I've just added a little tiny bit here and there and, and changed a couple of things here and there. But um, they'll be great players and Olympic champions without coaches around. So, um, you know, they're just a remarkable family all the way around. You know, the, the, what they've achieved in the game is, is, is absolutely incredible. And what they've achieved in tennis and what their parents achieved in tennis, et cetera, is incredible. And... Um, only people to take credit for that is themselves. So uh, quite remarkable to watch. And as I say, very uh, humbling to even be slightly brushing that sort of genius. Mm. Yeah. Nelly's one of my favorite swings. I, I, I've said that many times on my platforms. It's, um, it's a good golf swing. It really is. When, when you look at that swing, you know, what, uh, what stands out? Well, obviously, it's very athletic and very dynamic, like a lot of great swings are. It uses the ground really well. There's a big, obviously, big talk about using the ground. It's like cool to talk about that, but she actually does. I've got force plates and stuff, and I can kind of measure things and things. Um, so she actually does use the ground really well. Um, she's got a huge amount of torque, a huge amount of leverage in what she does. Uh, and she's got a, a really cool little little thing when she hits it. Her right arm is extremely stable um, as she comes into the ball and into impact, which, is, again, is a... I found quite a common denominator with a lot of really good swings. Uh, the stability of the trail arm, the rib cage, the side bend, and the tilt of the body uh, allows face control basically. And um, you know, she she maximizes every ounce of herself. She's extremely that's what I call golf strong. You wouldn't look at her and think you know she's she's really bulky, but she's golf strong. She's tall. She's got a lot of leverage, and she maximizes everything she does. Yeah, uh, and hits hits it a long way, and and hits it very consistently. Obviously, as all these great players do. Uh, and then has got a great all-round game and an absolute killer instinct, just like her sister has, which comes from their parents and, and their background and, um, you know, the, the most fierce competitors, and you, you can only respect that. Yeah, you always, can, you, you always can learn a little bit about someone when things don't go well late, how they bounce back. And, you know, 
couple bogeys there. Lydia gets in there. All of a sudden, we've got a golf tournament at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And then Nellie Lake goes, okay, wait a minute. Birdie, birdie. I'm back on top, right? Like, you know, it's late in the tournament. Here comes a run. She struggles a little bit. Reset button. Off she goes again. Like, that's a special trait. And I want to I want to ask you about this kind of big picture here just for a second. Just working with professional golfers. For my audience to know, um, Jonathan worked with Michael Campbell as well. You maybe recognize that name, U.S. Open champion back in 2005. So you've seen professional golfers, male, female, get to that status of major championship winner, right? You've seen them before, and then you've helped them get to that point. Share with my audience maybe one or two things that as you look back that are apparent to you now that, wow, they learned how to do A and B, which really helped them become a, become a major championship winner. Well, again, I'm not taking credit for for anyone's performance. I'm just a a little bit part player in the background here. I'm quite happy with that. But um, what, what I think, you know, the common thread across the board, not just with people I work with, with people I don't work with that I've seen um, is that incredible desire to win. You know, just the mentality to win, as you just said there, when your back's against the wall, is it fight or flight or freeze? Which one are you going for? And these guys fight. And you can only respect that. You can't teach that. That's instinctive. That's like built in. You know, they're just super special people. You know, great people do great things at great times. I think Michael Jordan Mm. once said. And that's true. And that's what they do. And, you know, you watch Tiger Woods whole, you know, a part where you think, okay, the odds on him missing this are statistically 90%. He's going to miss it and he holds it and he goes crazy. You know, they just do special things. You know, they're just amazing people, which is why I respect them so much. Um, and there's, there's, you know, the, as a coach, what you do, I mean, obviously there's an element of, of, of good fortune in players winning uh, majors and getting hot that week, but there's also a way of kind of planning for it a little bit you know, understanding the course composition, understanding, you know, what tests coming up, what shots you're going to hit, what the, you know, what the, the rough's like, you know, what's, what's happening, you know, all the way around historically with the course, you know, what it looks like on Google earth, where the pins are, you know, tons of little things you can kind of do. Uh, and then, you know, just if, you know, when I get a new player, I always just look at, you know, what, what little, five percent gains you can gain right okay you can gain five percent there you can gain eight percent there you can gain twelve percent there and when you start adding it up it makes a, a big hole really and uh and i say all you all you're trying to do as a coach is just give people slightly better tools or improve them or sharpen them really yeah. um but but you know you, they're just thoroughbred racehorses that it's as simple as that and and they've, they've created that skill themselves no coach should take credit no no one should ever take credit for performances like any major winner, you know, yeah. and I think you can't fluke a major. I was, t- I was thinking about it the other day, you know, you actually can't fluke a four round golf tournament. So anyone who wins a four round golf tournament, I don't care if it's the Sarasota open that's four rounds or, or, you know, Pirates Cove four rounds, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, USO is all the same process um, and they deserve massive respect for the amount of time it takes to, to, to complete a golf tournament. The test is five hours a day, four, four days, you know, it's 20 yeah. hours. There's a lot can happen in 20 hours. You've got a ton of time to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, anyone who can, who's got the skill to put it together, never mind a major, um, deserves major respect, but, uh, yeah, obviously the majors are a different test. Each one's slightly different and you've got to kind of just uh, cut your cloth accordingly, really. You know, teachers, coaches, like where it's went versus 
maybe when we got into the industry, you know, 20, 25 years ago, I think the job description of a coach now is much longer of maybe the responsibilities and how a player would lean on a coach. Um, there's definitely more specialization in the sport, but I think like the performance and aspect of it, you know, a having be able to just listen, be able to offer advice in perhaps other parts of, of the game and life um, is certainly a part of it um, that I hear from, from coaches and you want to protect, like, you know, I've got a, a nice situation here with a player, but maybe there's times where you look at a player and like, man, I need to plug in and give this player perhaps some tough love at times. And then there's times where I got to plug in and really build them up. Right. And, and kind of how to pick your moments. I, I went on the record saying on Monday, I was like, look, I think Bryson at some point should take some time away and have some self-reflection, get things a little bit more emotionally under control before he kind of pushes back out again. Right. I feel like he's kind of spiraling a little bit and perhaps someone in that camp should take a step in and say, Hey, maybe we should look at this, you know, and it might not be what the player wants to hear. Has that happened to you where you've had to kind of step in with a good player and say, look, here are my thoughts. And you may not want to hear this, but here they come anyway, being confident in yourself enough that they'll respect that in the end, yeah. you won't lose your job. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're in the relationship business as Mark McCormack, who owned IMG once said to me, we're in the relationship business. And one of the things I like about behind the scenes uh, with tour players is the special bond you create. Um, you know, you, you're almost like the the, the, the the protection mechanism against the outside machine almost, right? So you form like a brotherly bond. I mean, you know, Michael Cannell worked with him for 15 years. I would say he's, he's my favorite person on earth. And we've got mm. a special bond. Like we've been to war together almost. And even if I don't see him for three years, I saw him for the first day the other day for, for two years. And, you know, it's like I've never not seen him. He's like my, my best mate turning up. We had loads to talk about and stuff like that. So you get galvanized this relationship in the heat of the moment, right? So, you you know, you're, you're tested as a coach and a player at certain times. And, you know, you, you, if you come through that test, it galvanizes your relationship even more. But to your point, you know, if, if, if as a coach, you need to be able to say to someone quite real truth sometimes. Because what I've experienced on the tours, various tours I've worked on, is there's a lot of sycophants around. There's a lot of yes people around. And there's very few people who will actually say genuinely, in the interest of that person, this is what you need to do. Um, and, and, you know, disregarding the machinery that's around, you know, that I call the machinery social media and, you know, the, the news and all that stuff, you know, that's periphery to the actual game. In my view, the game is, is the game you played as a kid. It's having fun. It's enjoying what you're doing. It's 18 holes, 18 tees and cutting it down to size. And it's really easy to get kind of absorbed and lost in the, in the bubble and the mechanism, the whole thing, if you're not careful. And I think that's one thing I've always been good at um, amongst anything really is I'm from that humble background. So I'm very, I'm, I'm quite capable of like paring it down really easily and just seeing the reality of it, you know, and, and not really getting too carried away with it and then being able to transmit that to the player. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a, a real good skill. And, and some of the best coaches do that. Dave Ledbetter mm -hmm. does that as a main line. Sean Foley's brilliant at it. Chris Como, who's with um, Bryson, is uh, my former assistant, and he's excellent at that sort of thing. Um, but at the end of the day, it's gonna, it has to be up to the player as well. You know, some days they're going to listen to you, some days they're not. 
some days, you know, you've got the best intents at heart and then they might blow you off with something you've said, but the next day they might say, oh, that was a good idea. So, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a, they're under a lot of pressure is the thing, you know, it's what yeah. you've got to understand. They're in a performance yeah. sport, which is one of the most difficult sports on this earth to master or even get close to mastering. And then they're under the heat and the spotlight of the media, of, of critics, of social media, like never before. So, you know, for someone like Bryson, you know, he's probably under such massive pressure to perform. You know, he's made a big, big hoo-ha about, you know, hitting it further. So everyone's like, oh, come on, hit it further, hit it further. But, you know, is he being chased by that? Should he pair it back a little bit? I don't know. Um, you know, so it's, it's easy for them to, to kind of get a, a little bit caught up in it all and, and as I say, maybe the role—it's a multifaceted role. Being a, a, a coach, a high-performance mm-hmm. coach—you know, one minute you're the best friend, next minute you're a mentor, next minute you're carrying the, the getting the luggage off the carousel because you don't want to hurt their arm, and you know, the next minute you're on the swing cat force plates, telling them about their vertical horizontal forces, you know, and, and then track man next minute. So there's a, there's there's a lots of roles to it, but at the end of the day, it is a man management and a person management business, really. So you have mm-hmm. to understand people. You have to kind of, you know, understand each person. Have what I call a chameleonic personality. So you can't have, okay, this is how I am. It's like, okay, I can mold a little bit this way. I can mold a little bit that way. I can read this person. I understand why they're feeling like that. Um, and, and try and, you know, just you know, just kind of mold to each individual circumstance. And just as with golf swings and golf games, the longer I'm in the business, I've been in it 30 years. Uh, I've coached winners on seven tours around the world and all sorts of stuff. So uh, I kind of speak from experience that, you know, there, there is no one way to do it. It's literally yeah. a case-by-case basis. It's literally that. And uh, if you've got an open mind and a growth mindset as a teacher and a coach, which you should have, and you're, you're, you're a humanitarian and you understand all the dynamics involved in high-performance pressurized sport, um, then uh, you know you'll be prepared to wear many different hats and 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 deal with people in many different ways. Yeah, yeah, it's well said. I mean, and it changes. Boy, it's it's fluid. I mean, like you said, one moment things can be great, and then the next moment it's you know you're in a life comes at you fast, and it's you're sitting outside the top one twenty five, and it's like, man, how would we get here? You just won. Yeah, you know, a couple yeah. years ago, and, and, it's so and, and competitive. <laughs> And it can be so fickle as well. You know, people yeah. crit- criticize people like Rory. Oh, he doesn't win often enough. Or he's, he doesn't win majors often enough. I mean, geez, come on. The guy's made $54 million. You know, he's not doing too badly for a little kid mm-hmm. from Northern Ireland who started with nothing. You know, get in yeah. the real world and go and play the game and see how hard the damn thing is. And uh, understand that, you know, you just need a fickle break here or a fickle break there. And you're outside the, 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 the top 150. You know, and the same applies to the top 50. And the same applies to the top 10. You know, it's just such a fine line all the way around. And and, and and with any sport, especially golf, you know, confidence is fickle. It's, a, it's like trying to create a wave, a confidence wave, and you ride it for as long as you can, and then it crashes on the beach, and you've got to try and recreate another one. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, these guys are human, and, and that's why I never criticize anyone. The credit belongs to the man in the arena or the, or the woman in the arena, in my view, um, not the cold and timid souls on the outside. Let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting-edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter weighting designs, use of high-density particles, and even a nano-transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls 
But the new Vero X1 is their highest performance ball to date. And with their full suit of golf balls, they are transforming the game for players of all skill sets. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. Share, share with my audience uh, teaching a, a male versus female, and you can use the professional ranks if you want or amateur, but you've, you, you know, we've talked about your relationship with the Cordas. We've talked about Michael uh, Campbell, and you've worked with a number of other great players. You, you've got two USAM winners um, that you've had over the years. You've had two SU girls winners over the years. So you've seen men, women teaching them. What, what can you share? Like maybe some of the differences um, that might happen from a technical standpoint, let's just say there, you know, we know that women are not going to swing as fast. We know that shaft lean can be a little less. Um, the equipment's going to be different. You know, there's some things that are going to happen, but what can you share from a male versus female standpoint from a technicality, maybe in the swing standpoint, that would be some things to consider that you've learned. Well, I think, you know, the great thing is the ball doesn't know your gender. Right. <laughs> Man doesn't know your gender. And obviously, you know, uh, just by how people are built, women are slightly less um, densely muscled than men. It's a simple fact. So they don't swing quite as fast and quite as hard, but I've seen some of the best golf swings on women, as you alluded to with Nelly and, you know, the Van Damme girl swings it awesome. Mm-hmm. So it's not a gender-centric thing of how good someone swings according to their sexuality. Um, and some of the prettiest swings and best swings I've seen are actually female swings because, you know, they, they kind of just let it flow, especially as young kids, because they're, they're not as strong maybe, and they just let the club flow around them. And, you know, it, it kind of ends up as a really, really nice golf swing. So I think the biggest thing that stands out really um, between the two tours, if that's what you, you want to talk about, the men's and ladies tours, I've coached on both, um, is the, the disparity between how far the shortest hit or the longest hitter hit it is the biggest thing that stands out. So on the LPGA, and that's due to stature, you know, you've got some girls who are big, like the quarter girls or, or, or Van Damme, um, and then you've got short you know, you know, girls who are just, you know, five foot tall, again, just genetics, um, so, you know, there's a big imbalance there that from a distance perspective. So like, you know, you look at Jesse Corder, she hits it, you know, she can hit seven on one ninety, and, uh, you know, that's right up there with the wow. men or anyone. Um, and you know, you, you might have a, a girl, another girl hits it one fifty. you know, the same club. So all of a sudden, you know, they both tee off the same hole, you know, one girl's hitting nine iron in the other words, the other one's hitting a hybrid in. And you'd rarely see that on the PGA Tour, really. You know, the difference between the two really is a couple of clubs in general with a few outliers like Bryson and a couple of other guys. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that stands out. I think, you know, everything else is, is relatively similar, uh, you know, other than the distance thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're, 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 they're all very artistic. I wouldn't say, hey, the men or the women are more artistic. I think we're just human beings. And the golf club and the golf ball doesn't know that much difference, really. Um, yeah. I, I think I think from an maybe from a, an, an amateur perspective, you know, I think a lot of lady, mature, more mature lady golfers or people late to the party to golf, what I've seen at a club level, they tend to, um, they, they tend to um, get taught some old fashioned stuff really, you know, so they tend to get told to turn a lot and keep their head down and all that sort of stuff, which inhibits them, their movement in actual fact. 
Um, you know, if I teach some club ladies or some some late to the party ladies, I teach them in a very different way to 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 what's traditional. I'll get the club moving first, get some chaplain, and then add the body and don't yeah. talk to them about keeping their head still or anything like that. So I think it's very easy um, uh, to, to to kind of misteach some of the amateur players at club level for sure. And it seems to be more prevalent uh, with the lady players that I've seen for some reason. I don't know if it's how it's taught or, or, or what, but keeping your head still, yeah. uh, girls, is not a good thing. I think um, there's two things that jump to me. One, when I watch, like, you'll see more of the shut face with the men, you know, at the top. That, a little, little that, bit. That. I don't, yeah, yeah I, I agree and disagree a little bit. I think the hack motion... Uh, did a survey uh, on the on the tour there. I think they did a, over 100 players, and um, the lead wrist was 25 degrees in extension. Was the mate was the overriding thing. I definitely agree. Some of the top guys have got that going on. There's no question about it. If you've got the matchups, it definitely works. I would agree with you to some extent. Um, right. I think I think for for every close space player, I think there's five who are pretty neutral or slightly open. In reality, yeah. What about the change in flex? Do, do you think? the men are more apt to take on more, more right, take the right hip back more loose inflection versus the women. It seems like right knee stay more flexed in women's golf. It's all how you talk, isn't it? I think, you know, again, it's, 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 it's kind of not gender centric. It's case by case centric, really. You know, mm-hmm. if you overturn your right side and early turn your right side, which a lot of people do because as kids they get told to turn so the right side just disappears behind them and too early so you know they get the the right leg in extension too early so what's the solution to that okay feel a bit more flex in your right knee feel a bit more resistance in your right knee but whether that's male or female it, it, it doesn't matter it's just how yeah. people get to taught so yeah. get, get taught so um, again I, I don't think it's it's not something I massively see. I, again, I see a lot of uh, overturned early turn players, that is for sure, um, especially with juniors, because of that doctrine that's, that's passed down the years of, hey, you know, turn as much as you can, you'll hit it further. I mean, that's absolute rubbish. You've got to turn in sequence and you've got to create torque and you've got to harmonize the components together and start using the ground, not a big, loose, horrible turn where everything gets out of sync. Let's go to the junior game for a second because. Well, you've worked with three AJGA players of the year as well. So you know a thing about developing yeah. juniors from a young getting into the game to having a lot of success. This mm. We're in the speed era, you know, distance. It's certainly more discussed. Not, but, you know, we know that, it, look, previous years, a lot of guys, that, there's some guys that hit it a long ways. There's just more guys now, right, that can mm. really get it out there. They know how yeah. great speed. They understand the launch data and these gains are happening all over the place. I mean, Stuart Sink, at, let's see, two months ago talked about, yeah, I just got more behind it at address and impact. My attack angle went up and I'm hitting it, you know, eight to 12 degree. I'm hitting. It's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, like that probably wasn't as available to him, say 25 years ago. Right. Like, like that kind of data where it's now it's yeah. just more mainstream. It's like, duh, you change your attack angle yeah. <laughs> and off he went. Now that's, that can be scary too, because if you take someone who's been one to two degrees down, like maybe Stuart was to one or two degrees up and what that means, they can lose it quickly downrange, but he was able to make the adjustment 10, 12 yards. He's over 300 yards. Stuart Singh, you know, 47 years of age. So juniors, we know, look, let's learn to create speed young. 
um, I get this a lot, but sacrificing, you know, how much do you sacrifice in the way of accuracy for this kid to be able to learn how to generate speed? How do you manage the speed creation with your juniors and having that discussion of, okay, but we still need to have some sense of control as well, but I don't want to have so much control that you don't maximize learning how to create some speed too. Yeah, well, you know, there's a doctrine out there, obviously, that's, you know, hey, hit it as hard as you can and then just go find it, right? I, I, I agree with that and I don't agree with that. Um, with my players, what I do is I compartmentalize training. So I want someone to hit it straight and far, and I don't want someone to have a swing rebuild when they're 17 years old at a crucial time and they're entering college because right. I've let them swing like Tarzan for, for their formative years. Um, so I, I, I don't agree with it to that extent because I think it's possible to do some vital cells of speed development. So, you know, over here, here's your, you know, when, when you, when you create a practice, you need to create a practice schedule and a practice regimen. So it's not just like, Hey, what are we going to do to our oh, just like for four hours and think I'm great. No, you're going to go in cells of time and you, your first 30 minutes cell of time is speed development. That's what we're going to call it. So you've got your speed sticks out there. You've got your left and right swinging stuff. You've got the biomechanics stuff going on. You've got the trainer on the tee. So that's your, that's your little window of speed development. Okay. Now next section for the next hour is going to be, okay, Let's work on the, the how your swing fits together as well, and let's work on the, the geometry. So we start to get some ball control, and then you might try and blend those two together. You might do them on different days. Um, but I think, well, I've definitely uh, done it myself with most players I've worked with. Um, I've developed speed on one side, developed accuracy on the other, and blended them together. Um, you know, in the name of no major swing rebuild at a crucial time is why I've done it, and it worked very nicely. And I think, you know, that's the important thing that, that people can take out there because I get a ton of swings online, especially for juniors all over the world. And, you know, because they're just not, they just fire the hips way too early, all of them, right? They they mm -hmm. early extend, they thrust forward, they get that right arm out of sync and they throw the right arm out. That is generally what happens because they're just trying to hit it too hard, to, you know, and I think if they can learn to control their body a little bit, which they will do as they get older, but they can still do it to some extent. And then they add speed and, and all the other things. I think you can blend them all together quite nicely if you're intelligent at how you practice and you structure your practice. Um, allied to that would be, uh, you know, getting them to understand at a young age that you're trying to develop skills. So, you know, you're not the, the, the guy who is the best at 14 years old quite often is not the best at 18 years old, I can assure you. Um, you know, out of what um, there was, I think I did a survey out of 60 AJGA players of the year. Um, I've coached three of them, um, like six made it to the tour and two kept the card more than two years or something, you know? So what kids must understand is that the early years are not about how many tournaments you win, whether you win 20 AJGAs or whatever it is. For my mind, I'm looking for someone who's willing to develop skills, who's trying to get creative, artistic, blend art and science together and just let the results gradually evolve so that when they actually come to the fore, is when it counts. They're going to come to the fore at college. They're going to come to the fore, you know, leading into college and all that sort of thing with a all-round golf game, not just someone who can just smash it, run after it, and then they, they can't find it half the time because right. all, of, all of a sudden they're big and strong and this thing's going 30 yards right and left instead of three yards right and left like it used to when they were weak. So that's kind of yeah. my approach. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, I, don't, I don't really quite understand, like, well, you got to just – you know, you just got to speed train and that's it and let them go. Like, 
well, no, I mean, you can speed train and then also, you know, start layering in, like you said, some of the geometry and hitting shots and controlling and things like that. So I, yeah, I, I, I love that balance, right? Like why can't you maximize speed and learn to hit it far, but have some control in there as well. I mean, that's. Yeah. So it's all got a time and place. I mean, I I reserve time for artistic, what I call artistic training, Mm -hmm. skill development, training, skill mastery, skill transfer, technical training, you know, force plate stuff, track man stuff. It's all got a time and place. It's how you interact on a case by case basis. Um, And it's dynamic and changing, you know, you might be working with a player and they might be on the force plates for a week because, you know, you really need to nail something down. Right. Or they might be like, hey, you don't need the force plates for a month because you're doing great with that part. But I tell you, you know, you've got no idea how to shape a shot around a tree and, and play me a soft, delicate bunker shot. <laughs> so, you know, it's a case-by-case thing and, and it's all aiming towards skill development. And for people, it's very easy to to have our game as a game within the game where it's just like, Hey, I just want to make my swing look pretty. I want to perfect it on the range. I want to perfect it in the studio and then go out and shoot 85. Right. That's not what I'm about. I want someone to go out and shoot 65 and have a game that's very robust and has got some longevity. And so it needs an intelligent, almost business-like approach to it, which is kind of how I approach it on a case by case basis with each person, especially mm-hmm. a junior development level. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think, I think that's what it is. A business-like approach. It certainly is. We know it's a big business, you know, on the tours, but it's it, the trickle down now with all these um, tours that are, you know, supporting tours that corn Ferry tour, Q school, Canadian, um, you know, the tours down South Asia, Japan, Europe, like there's, there's a big business in the meat of it too. Right. And we know the PGA yeah. tour is, is the, is the king, you know, but like, there's a huge business in the middle part of it that are trying to get there as well. Mm. Uh, and then underneath that, you got college and, and then you got all this junior development leading up to it. And the way these kids are trained now, uh, in many ways, it's similar to right. The, um, the attention that is being given to a, a tour player. I mean, yeah, I don't they're treat, training I don't and specialization yeah, yeah. underneath. Yeah, I don't treat uh, kids any different, really, to how I train a tour player, to be honest. You know, I do a physical screening, do the TPI stuff. I employ a trainer. We, you know, look at their movement patterns and we look at their whole game and create what I call a, a blueprint and a roadmap around that. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, kind of work on that, uh, you know, get, getting them moving in the right direction. But I think, you know, there's so many, I think there's so many great coaches out there nowadays because we're not guessing anymore. I think with the advent of, of, of technology, it's allowed us to almost look inside Pandora's box and tame it. You know, it's yeah. like we know we know we know the code almost. You know, so I'm not unique in my skill set. There's a, a thousand coaches who watch this, listening to this, who are equally as skilled as me, I would say. Um, and, and technology has allowed us to to understand things better. And TPI has been a massive step forward, in my opinion, and very doesn't really uh, get as as much credit as it should do. I think it transformed the industry, especially at junior level. Um, and uh, there's some genius behind that, I think. And, um, you know, stuff like Trackman and, and all the things that are at our disposal. So, you know, we take opinion out. We take guesswork out. If you want a kid to hit it further, well, you can show them that, how to hit it further by using technology, showing how to change the forces, showing how to change the angle of attack, as you talked about, how that translates into speed. We didn't know that 20 years ago. 
Yeah. You know, just the stuff I learn on a daily basis. So it's like, geez, I didn't know that. I wish I'd known that a few years ago. <laughs> um, you know, it's all yeah. it's all very interesting stuff. You know, and yeah. uh, so that's why there's such strength in depth because there's so many great coaches who aren't guessing anymore, and right. because we've got some amazing technology in what we do. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, we covered a lot of ground here. This is this was was my hope. You know, professional golf to. You got men and women, then you got down to the junior game, and there, there, there's a lot there to consider uh, and chew on. So I, I know you're a busy man, Jonathan, and um, I appreciate you you coming on. You're humble, just like your quarters, and uh, I know you've been one of the best at it for a long time. And I, I appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing some of your uh, some of your success stories and secrets. Thanks, Travis. I appreciate you having me on, and keep up the great work, man. I appreciate it. We'll do it again soon. Thanks, Jonathan. All right, buddy. Have a good one.